Hello and welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivion, your podcast for discussions on films that are out of date, out of fashion, out of time, underrepresented, un- unheard of, and all that other jazz. As per usual, I am your host, James Eldred, and Anthony's back. Hi, Anthony. Hello, how's it going? <laughs> Anthony, whose last name I can't say again because I forget. It's okay. You're not the only one. Anthony Abbott. We spell it differently, so it's I knew okay. How to, I knew how to spell it. Well, it's it's <laughs> been my entire life's experience that when they like you know since school when they go to call like call the attendance or whatever and they look at the top of the names and I know it's usually either me or someone named Aaron and they're going to hesitate <laughs> and they're going to say Anthony and I'll go Abbott and I just make it easier for them so it's totally fine. You know, my last name is spelled how I say it, Eldred. But people mm. always add a G from Eldridge. Eldridge. Shit, drive, shit, shit drives me crazy. But anyway, uh, let's not talk about last name pronunciation woes. Uh, today, we are here to talk about a few things. A quick, a couple of disclaimers on top of this episode. So if you follow me on Twitter, you might know I had a pretty bad month health-wise. And um, nothing that's going to kill me. But um, things that make researching you know, 1970s uh, horror films a bit more difficult. So I picked this movie in particular, which we'll get to later, because I already knew a lot about it, and it's a fun movie, and it's easy to find, and it's a good Hollywood movie. But I couldn't do the deep dive I usually do. So if this episode maybe feels a little bit rushed, then hey, guess what? Um, <laughs> but that's how it is. Oh, speaking of not having enough time and, and health issues affecting podcasts, if you listen to my other podcast, uh, Alexander's Ragtime Band, I'll go ahead and announce. I already announced this on Twitter, but that is ending. Uh, sorry. We have two more episodes coming that we're going to finish up the year, and then that'll be it. It's just we just don't have enough time for it, and I don't want to put out a substandard product. So uh, the old episodes will live on if you need a multitude of prog recommendations, and that'll be that. Uh, sorry. I'm going to try to do something else musical-related, hopefully, if I ever get some more time and better health. <laughs> Those are two things I'm always looking for. But also today, Anthony, I wanted to discuss something else we watched. Before we get to today's movie, mm-hmm. we both recently watched Halloween Ends. Yes. And yes, I know did. that's not an obscure film, but I, I I, noticed that we have incredibly differing opinions on it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I wanted I, to discuss it, if, 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 if that's okay. Uh I respect differing opinions on films for the most part. So mm-hmm. don't I'm not going to be like you're wrong, but I think you're wrong. Um <laughs> <laughs> That's totally so, fair. <laughs> so you did not like Halloween Ends. I didn't okay. I really liked Halloween 2018. Yeah, it's a um, great movie. That's a fucking I, great movie. I thought Halloween Kills was fun, but the only thing I took away from it was of course chanting Evil Dies Tonight over and over and over, which I like yeah, doing yeah. now. So yeah, really uh, quick. Yeah, I like Halloween Kills. I like Halloween Kills. It is not. It is a flawed movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a very interesting movie, and I think it's trying to talk about grief in a really interesting way. But it's a bit heavy-handed for a Halloween movie. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also just a long-time fan of the franchise. You know, just in general. So big, big um, Buster Rhymes fan. Oh, we won't talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not. Anyway, it's so it's, that's a that's a, that's definitely a movie in the in the series. But Halloween ends. I, I'm not here to crap on it. I just feel that personally, <laughs> from my experience, that I won't. Are we going to keep it like spoiler free? Because you know let's people it, probably yeah. Because it's a brand new movie, so let's keep it spoiler right. free. 
I'm just going to say in general, my feelings on Halloween ends were that it kind of felt like a lot of things that happened in this movie just came out of nowhere. And I feel like there's an introduction of a new character who plays a major part in this movie, which is fine. I don't have an issue with that. But it feels like maybe that character would have made more sense if we'd at least seen him in like one of the previous movies, like in Kills or in 2018. Yeah, you're not wrong and, there. Yeah. And and that really threw me for a loop. And I was watching it with a few friends. And I feel like for maybe the first half of the movie, at least 40, 45 minutes, it felt like, okay, well, if we're just focusing on this other character now, it felt like a different movie. And I kind of was waiting to what I thought was going to be, you know, the Halloween movie. And it felt like we didn't get to kind of what I felt like what we really came to until later in the movie. And by that time we got to it, it just felt rushed to me. Everything felt like this is a very strange choice for a third movie in, in like your trilogy. I think it's interesting in a few ways because the idea of it being like a different movie, I feel like it almost mirrors Halloween 3. Yeah. Which is interesting because the Halloween kills really mirrored Halloween 2. Because in Halloween 2, original Halloween 2, uh, Laurie's in the hospital most of the movie. Mm-hmm. And in Halloween Kills, he's in the hospital most of the movie. <laughs> and Halloween 2 had an insane body count. Halloween Kills has an ex- insane body count. And I, I feel like those two are kind of very similar. I feel like Halloween 3... Uh, Halloween Ends uses the same font treatment as Halloween, Halloween 3. Yes, I did notice that. I thought the stuff with the new character was interesting. And a very unique so the, the one thing we can say about him because it's, it's the first scene in the movie um he's a, a teenage kid who's a babysitter and the kid he's babysitting dies yeah by an accident that he that, he, that the it's in it's it's a he, involuntary involuntary accident it was an accident i don't he wasn't even charged right um you find out later but the whole town blames him and there are parallels to him and Michael Myers that become more and more apparent as the film goes on. And I feel there's a curveball halfway through, but I really liked it because, it because it was weird. I thought it told some interesting things. And the one thing I'll say about the whole there's not enough Michael Myers in the movie debate is that, like, what else can Michael Myers do now? <laughs> like, Which is fair, fair point, but I feel like I gotta watch the trailers again. I almost feel like this other character that's introduced in this movie for the first half of it, at least. I don't remember even seeing him in advertisements for the movie. So I feel like when you see a trailer for this, there's a bit of a swerve where the movie that they're advertising, you think is kind of like just Halloween 2018 and Halloween kills. But when you go into it, and again, I'm not saying you can't pull a bit of, of a swerve for an interesting story. I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying what you're getting is a movie that you're not expecting. And like, for, for example, James, you love that. And me, again, I was still along for it. Like, okay, well, this is not what I expected. Whatever. Let's see where this is going. But just where they took it, by the time we got to, like, the end and kind of the stuff that I think I was waiting for, I think kind of the first half, I was just like, I kind of, I feel like this landed flatly for me. I just kind of was like, oh, whatever. And it felt so weird. And it just didn't feel like the movie I thought they were setting up after Kills. Yeah, and you're right. And the, I did think the, the, the final confrontation did feel a bit rushed. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll definitely agree there. I liked once it becomes I I like I like the first half. It's, it's basically a drama, and I think it's really there's a scene with Lori in the supermarket that I loved, mm-hmm. with her just talking to that that guy that I thought was really well written. And that's that's not the kind of dialogue you get typically in a slasher film, yeah. you know. And that was really good. And I liked the very 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 end of it quite a bit. 
the the final confrontation does feel a bit rushed, but I still enjoyed it. It it is definitely going against expectations, but for me that's okay. You know, I I enjoyed it. Also, I've seen some real shit this year, mm-hmm. so you know the that I I've complained about that Firestarter remake. <laughs> Which yeah, yeah. Which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life, and I also just I watched the new Hellraiser, which I have not watched either. But I was thinking about dipping into that just out of curiosity. I cannot believe that movie's not been well received, but it's been kind of meh received. Now maybe most Hellraiser films are garbage, so it's better than most of those. But that movie is fucking terrible. I'm and, not the biggest Hellraiser fan, but I'm. I think after seeing you talk about it, you made me just curious. At least I kind of want to dip in and just see. The thing about it, and then we'll move on to this movie. The thing, about, the main character in that movie is a piece of shit, junkie idiot who gets all her friends and her cute gay brother killed. That no, and was supposed to feel sorry for her. And I like, mm. I wanted her to die in five minutes because every <laughs> it would have, she would have had it fucking coming. And yeah. the CG is terrible. The practical effects are terrible. Um, it, some of the torture scenes are comedic because they're so stupid. Like the, the scene where someone gets a needle through their neck and you see it through the inside. <laughs> it's so, it, it just, it just, it, it looks like a medical test I had last month. Like it just, it doesn't look scary. Um, and let me tell you with that camera, with that camera went from my medical test, way more upsetting than this movie. Um, but it just yeah, it's like watching a colonoscopy. It's not scary. Um, <laughs> it's fucking stupid. Uh, it was a bad movie, and I hope they don't make any more. Like um, same with Halloween, though. Like I really wish they would finish Halloween. They're not going to. Yeah. Um, because the rights will go back to Akkad. Uh, his I forgot his name. It's, it's the main guy's son. He he got he owns the rights of the movie. And yeah. Gloomhouse yeah. is done. And uh, I don't I don't want to like. I don't hate Halloween Ends. It's a movie I would definitely rewatch. Um, okay. I just okay. think it's the weaker of these most recent three. The only okay. movies in the franchise I have watched that I personally feel like I just can't get behind them are the uh, Rob Zombie movies. Those are the only ones I just don't care for. I've and never I like seen Rob two... Zombie's music, but I don't care yeah. for most of his movies. You like songs about werewolves, baby? Um, I... I More so than those movies, those Halloween movies he made. I really like the first one. I never saw the second one. I heard it was pretty bad. I heard the director's cut's better. I do want to check it out. I cannot. The only like, I Halloween six, and Halloween Resurrection, the Buster Rhymes one, those are those are inexcusably awful films. Those are definitely I mean, low points. Uh, any version of Halloween six is terrible. There's two versions of it. They're both bad, and they're both kind of sad because Donald Pleasant is Donald Pleasant is obviously very very sick. And they're still making those movies. And Halloween Resurrection, I mean, it's kind of funny because it's so dated. Like you watch oh, yeah, it now. It's, it's it is so the ridiculous. most it is the most late nineties, early two thousand movie ever. So there is that, but it's not scary and it's not funny. It's just fucking terrible. Um I do like I like any I like any other Halloween film more than Halloween Resurrection, <laughs> I think. I liked I was gonna say for a second I liked Firestarter 2022 more than Halloween Resurrection, but no, because Firestarter 2022 insulted me, and Halloween Resurrection is stupid. Firestarter 2022, Anthony, that is the, that is some the Predator bad. Ooh, which which I think is one of the worst movies I've seen in a long time. Yeah, me too. I, I watched it this month too. But anyway, enough about new movies that people have heard of. Fuck that. 
Get that let's out of talk, here. Let's get the fuck out of here. Let's talk about Twins of Evil from 1971. One of my all-time favorite Hammer films. Now, Anthony, I know you love this movie because you told me you did. Is this your first Hammer Hammer film? This is. And I was always Woo-hoo. hearing about Hammer horror movies. I've always heard about them, but I've never actually seen one to my knowledge. So when I watched this one, I was like, okay. I think I get what these are, even though this is the only one I've seen. But <laughs> I love this. And within five minutes, I was in. I was so in. So for those who don't know, Hammer is a what it is that back. Hammer is a movie studio from England, founded in the 30s, that really found its way in the late 50s by getting into horror. Uh, they did. A, they did a few. They have a few good like thriller and drama films in the fifties, but the main thing was horror. In the fifties, they started to make uh, these movies, the the quarter mass movies, which were these good sci fi horror films. And then they fucking hit pay dirt in fifty seven with Curse of Frankenstein and Dracula. In in America, horror of Dracula. In Japan, this Dracula. In Japan, in England, I'm in Japan. I'm sorry. In England, it's Dracula. And those are the movies with Peter Cushing. And Christopher Lee. Oh, and okay. They are fucking bangers. Um, what 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 Hammer really did was they took advantage of the the revised censorship system in England and public domain stories. <laughs> so they would find a public domain story, kind of like Disney, um, and then then when the censorship changed and it had the X rating, they were like, "Well, we can put." blood galore in this and so like their version of frankenstein is really gruesome for the era very very and also like super bright color so like bloody as hell body parts flying uh christopher lee plays frankenstein uh peter cushing in a villain role play play well christopher lee i'm sorry christopher lee plays the monster i i I, I did that everyone does and uh, um cushing is frankenstein as the villain and they're great movies. And then Dracula is just one of my all-time favorite movies ever. But I will say those early films, like, I didn't recommend those for your first Hammer film. I recommend this because while I love those films, they are slow. Mm-hmm. And they, they are as slow as a 90-minute movie can be. So almost every Hammer film is between 82 and 97 minutes <laughs> because they got to get that double feature in. Um, but they're slower. The, the the pacing's a little different. You know, they're more dramatic. Twins of Evil is really the second era of Hammer. When the main people started to leave, um, the producers, what are their names? Um, yeah, Anthony Hines and Anthony Nelson Keys, they, they had quit. The main writer, Jimmy Sangster, he had moved on also. And so they started bringing some new writers, new directors, new producers. The guys who produced this, uh, Styles and Fine, they were outside producers. And they started to realize the 60s are over. Um, Night of the Living Dead came out. <laughs> um, people aren't scared of vampires anymore. So they had to kind of spice things up. And at the same time, England changed the X rating. So England's X and America's X are not the same thing. How 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 significantly different is it? It's not pornography. It's okay. pretty big. England's X is like an R. At least it used to be. I don't know what it is now. I'm talking about the 70s here. And it used to be a 16 plus rating. But in the 70s, they changed it to 18 plus. Which means titties. <laughs> so 
Yeah, so it's like R rating. <laughs> so three things happen at the same time to make this movie. The X rating chains to allow for more graphic sexual content and graphic violence. The Hammer brand started to bring in outside producers. And those outside producers, Fine and Style, were really into and got the idea to make a movie based on Carmella, which is an old vampire story that predates Dracula that has lesbian overtones. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, so three Hammer films kind of very lightly based on Carmella. This is the third one. They are completely unrelated. So don't worry about that. I mean, they have the same actors playing different roles. They're all, they all are about these vampires called the Karnsteins. And the first one's the Vampire Lovers. That's pretty good. That's Ingrid, B- Ingrid Pitt and Peter Cushing. The second one, Lust for a Vampire, I have not seen. I can't find it. And then Twins of Evil is the last one, which most people agree is the best one. And they're about, you know, they're vampire movies with gratuitous sexual salacious content. And um, you like this one quite a bit, right? Well, okay. Yeah. This movie, I felt like five minutes in, this movie starts. And I've never seen a movie where the opening credits felt like, I was sitting there going, is this one sustained shot that is uncut that I'm watching or is this on loop? But either way, uh, you know, there's this whole thing, of course, where they're like, you know, people are hunting and looking for witches and stuff. And then yeah. the opening of this movie is they find, you know, and it's all young, beautiful women that people have decided, well, she's a witch because that's how that went back in, the, in that time. Yep. And <laughs> the movie starts with them burning her at the stake. And then the opening credits start as we kind of in the back of the credits still see this happening and i was like what is happening right now yeah. who has the the who has the balls to start a movie like this and from that moment i was just like i don't know what's gonna happen and i was in because i was like this is setting a tone that is so chaotic but so yeah. curious and this i had is, no idea what to expect this movie has some tonal differences from other hammer films including characters that are more ambiguously good or evil um, but it does have a few things in common with every Hammer film, like I alluded to earlier. It is between 80 and 97 minutes long. It starts with a bang and ends when it ends. There yeah. Is no, there, yeah, there is no denouement. There is no epilogue. This is over. Credits. Get the fuck out. <laughs> with, okay, and, with, this, well, I'll say, with this being my first Hammer film, mm-hmm. I, I was going to ask you, I was going to guess a few things I think are elements of these movies just for me watching this one. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly lower budget. Okay. Yes. You know, but well, also I mean, is it. Yeah, kind of. Not, yeah, but go ahead. Not like, not like super cheap, like, it's you know, staging. It's staging. Right. Yeah. It did have like more of like a play kind of quality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's like, let's get the most beautiful people possible for this movie. So yeah, for this movie. So that, so again, this is the start of the more explicit hammer era. So, there, when it comes to women, yes, they weren't. They didn't show their breasts as much in the old movies. But we watched another movie. My friend and I watched this and another Hammer film last night called Captain Clegg, which is not really a horror film, but it has a, it has more Peter Cushing in it, um, which we'll get to him in a minute. My favorite, but women in women in, women in Hammer films. Let's just say the wardrobe department had a lot of work to do um, to keep those puppies to keep those puppies up. <laughs> like I mean, every... listen. I I I I I made a note that I said I think the only direction this movie was more bosoms. Yeah, like, and it's you're not even. I'm not talking about nudity. I'm talking. I'm talking about like 
cleavage. And yes. just, like there's a woman in Captain Clegg that's like, I was watching it with a, a female friend and she was like, that underwire is doing a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> so that is very common. When it comes to the men in the films, not so much. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that Peter Cushing's my type. I know that might be weird. I don't care. Um, <laughs> give me a slightly foppish British man. I'm a down. Um, and I would say 1957 to right before this, Peter Cushing is like, you know, vampire hunter I'd like to. But anyway, um, <laughs> and, you know, I think the more, a, more, a more popular opinion is Christopher Lee. Like, I know a lot of girls who are goth who like Christopher Lee's Dracula. And they like Christopher Lee's Dracula. Was, um, was, was Christopher Lee kind of the Hammer films, like a combination of their Lon Chaney and Bella Lugosi? Christopher Lee was usually the villain, but not always. Um, there are a few films where he's not. I forgot that my I'll, before when we finish this, I'm going to recommend some other ones, and I'll look it up before then. But he's he's usually the villain, and Peter Cushing is usually either a hero or if he was busy, a smaller role. <laughs> um, okay. There's the only films where he is the villain that are Hammer films are the Frankenstein ones, but he's still the protagonist in those films. Um, those are interesting movies, uh, the the Frankenstein movies. He's also in the Mummy. He's in Dracula. You know, let's let's talk before we get to the the the, the, the titular <laughs> no pun intended uh, <laughs> titular twins. Let's talk about Peter Cushing. So, aside from Star Wars, is this your first Peter Cushing movie? It is, and it was the first thing I thought was I can't think of a single thing I've seen him in besides this. Oh, so but I'm, I mean, besides Star Wars, yeah. So Peter Cushing is my all-time favorite actor. I have, according to Letterboxd, I have seen 43 Peter Cushing films. Oh, wow. Number two is Christopher Lee with 42. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> number three, which will surprise no one who knows me, Doris Day. But anyway, yep. um, Peter Cushing, I don't want to go into his whole thing. I, I kind of want to focus on Peter Cushing at this time in his career. So Peter Cushing was a minor actor throughout the 30s and 40s, hit it big with Hammer in the late 50s. Made about a movie a year with Hammer from the late 50s to 1970. Uh, in 1971, his wife passed away, Violet. And from what I've read and listened to and watched about Peter Cushing, that destroyed him. Just absolutely, completely, as like he was suicidal. <sighs> and Christopher Lee and other people really helped him around that time by getting him to work. And I feel at that point in his life, Peter Cushing just decided... If he wants to maintain his sanity, he's going to work. And so this is the first film he made after his wife's death. He was That's why he's not in the second of the lesbian vampire films, because his wife was very sick. And <sighs> when you look at Peter Cushing in this movie, he's only 58 years old. Really? Yes, but he is gaunt. And he's not sick, like physically. Like, he became sick later in life, but he's just very frail looking in this movie and he was never a you know a stocky dude <laughs> yeah but yeah. i feel like this was his way of coping with his wife dying was to work nonstop. so between 1970 and 1980 1979 he was in 38 movies holy shit and this is for me this is really peak cushing 
uh, in terms of just like trying all kinds of crazy stuff. Like in 1972, he was in six movies. Um, six movies in one year. In one year. Now, two of those were anthologies, but still, that's a lot of work. So, like in the 70s, this is when Peter Cushing. This is when Peter Cushing is in um, some more Dracula films. He's in a fantastic movie called Fear in the Night with. Um, I want to say Judy, Judy, yeah, Joan Collins is in that. That's a dope movie. He's in a couple more Frankenstein films. He's in a fantastic movie with Vincent Price called Madhouse. But this is also kind of when Hammer starts to decline. The Dracula films he's in at this point are not as good. The Frankenstein films are not as good. He is in Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, which is the Frank, which is the vampire kung fu movie. Co-produced by Shaw Brothers, which is not as good as you hope it would be. <laughs> I was gonna say, say you just named two things I love dearly, and I think I need to see this. It is worth watching. It is worth watching, but it's not a great movie. He's in Shatter, which is his last Hammer film, which is a James Bond ripoff that is fucking dog shit. And other mediocre films. I guess in the sixties are his best movies, but his fun is a lot of his fun work is in the seventies. But he's my favorite actor of all time. You, you look at his career. This man played Van Helsing, Frankenstein, Doctor Who, and Sherlock Holmes. Um, within 20 years. You know, he, he plays every iconic British character, pretty much. And his Sherlock Holmes is fantastic in Hound of the Baskervilles. His Frankenstein is amazing. His Van Helsing is iconic. No one else can be. Whenever I see anyone else being Van Helsing, I'm like, fuck you. You're not Peter Cushing. I could see him being a really good Sherlock and a really good Van Helsing. And, you know, um, what I'm learning right now is from from hearing you talk about this is I need to see more of his movies in general because the only two things I've seen him in, he was just like, you know, this insufferable jerk. But he's good at it. But I do need to see more of these other roles because I could totally see him playing Sherlock Holmes and Van Helsing especially. And and his Sherlock Holmes, his Hound of the Baskervilles, that movie is amazing. That is the most mainstream Hammer film. That's the one I that's the one I show my mom, <laughs> like my stepmom. You know, it's that's a fun, great B movie, um, Sherlock Holmes. And yeah, he's just a great actor. And I'm I'm gonna talk about him more in my, throughout this podcast, um, because I'm gonna do more Peter Cushing films. I already have another one lined up. But it is my belief that he is one of England's greatest actors. And the fact that he was never really, never really in his life really awarded that he got a, he won a, he won a BAFTA for TV I think, um, but that's it. He he never really got his due when he was alive for being such an amazing actor. No Oscar nominations, no OBE, no anything like that. Um, yeah, he won one BAFTA in '56 for TV, and that's his only major award. So he's amazing in this. He is he is fantastic, and in this movie he he plays. So in the movie, it's about a, a small town in Germany, and the, yo the vampires, and uh, there's more to it than that. But he is a witch hunter, and his character is very interesting because Peter Cushing usually plays the good guy, but here he, it's a really interesting character because he thinks he's good, like oh, he's yeah. not like a religious hypocrite. Who's burning people who he who he doesn't like, like in um Vincent Price and Witchfinder General. It's a very similar character, but he's evil. Um Peter yeah. Cussing thinks he's doing the right thing. Yeah. 
and it makes for a really interesting character. Um, and he has a pathos to him and just uh, a desire to, to save his village. And for him, it's really important that he burns these ladies alive. And he's so unwavering in his beliefs that even if it's his literal family, he will still follow through in what he thinks is the right action, even if it means burning his niece. Yes, so his nieces <laughs> are Mary and Madeline Collinson. They play the Gellhorn sisters. They come to the town because their parents died. They lived. They say they lived in Venice. This also takes place, like, in, you know, olden times. <laughs> I, I, I don't know exactly what year this is. 17th century. Yeah, I felt um, like it was 17th, 16th, and 17th century. And it's Styria, Styria. So it's, that's what, that is what Austria is now, I think. Um, I'm my my European my uh, yeah, Styria is in Austria, so they're Austrian, not German. My apologies. Um, I just watched Frankenstein also, so I got it mixed up. But yeah, so they come to this small, like shithole village, Puritan village, and um, the uh, the Gellhorn sisters kind of stand out, don't they? Uh, Anthony. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you could say they're definitely turning heads as every man in the village notices them. Um, even their aunt notices when they show up that, hey, maybe you should change the way you are dressed. Even and, uh, I noticed them <laughs> when they <yeah>. showed up. Because <laughs> Peter Cushing's um, my type, but I'm not blind. <laughs> yeah, uh, they are, uh, as, as I said, it's. I feel like the direction of this movie was more bosoms. Like, yes, more bosoms. You you can't they can't hide them. They have to hide their bodies. They'd have to cover them heads toe. Every guy there's a scene where every guy in the town is just they've forgotten what they were doing for the day as the sisters are passing by them and they are just drawn in. They can't help themselves. Yeah, and it's funny because when you first see them, they're in a they're in a horse and carriage and you don't see them below the neck. Mm-hmm. Uh and then they get out of the carriage and you're like, oh. Oh, oh! <laughs> yeah. So those are the twins of evil. I understand. Uh, the 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 um the Collinson sisters were Playboy centerfolds. They were the first twins in Playboy. Um, good for them. And the producers of this film discovered them when they were <clears throat> reading Playboy. That's Ooh, how they got for the, the job. articles. For well, yeah, the articles, yes, titillating. Anyway, um, <laughs> they were not actors. They're dubbed in this movie. I feel they do a good job. You can tell which one's evil, which one's good. Like pretty well, like they they act like different characters, um, but they weren't in many films. They're only in they're in in three years. They were in six movies and one short film. Uh, they were in something called Some Like It Sexy, which I'm <laughs> sure is not sexy. Uh, I am a groupie. Permissive. That's about. The permissive, the love machine. Uh, Twins of Evil and Passion Potion all the same year, and they're in a short like 8mm stag film, that's not not a porno though, uh, about a hotel that where, where some naughty, naughtiness goes on called Halfway In and it's like like I-N-N and that's that's some good shit, that's good I'm, <laughs> I'm a fan of that um, and Anthony, okay, I don't mean to put you on the spot and you don't if if you don't have to answer this question, but I I, I I ask this a lot when I watch a movie like this with a straight guy. Mm-hmm. Does this do anything for you? 
They're fucking hot as shit. I'm sorry. Look, they're hot as shit. All right. I'm trying not. To, I was trying not to be crass here. I was trying not to look. I'm gonna keep it real with you, James. We've we've done several podcasts together. I feel like I can be honest with you. They're fucking hot. It's distracting. It's distracting. Okay. okay. <laughs> so I totally get why they why they so have now, this this career. Now you know how I feel when I watch a George Clooney movie. Yes. Um, yes. Like, also. Real, real quick, uh, you mentioned earlier that they were dubbed in this movie, and until after I had seen the movie and learned that, I could not tell that they were dubbed over. That was a very common, um, very common thing for these movies and, and other movies of the air. Like a lot of the women in Bond films were dubbed. Um, really? Because they were cast not for their acting skills. Oh, okay. So, yeah. a lot you of know, models uh, and, stuff. and and the dubbing actresses are usually uncredited. So I don't know who they are. But it's a good, it's a very good dub job and very good ADR in matching the audio, the audio echo, like the acoustic. Yeah, I had no hint that those were not their voices at all. Yeah, because they're Maltese. So yeah. they had different accents also. But no, they're very good in this film. I mean, it, when one of them turns evil, um, when uh, Frida, not, yeah, but Maria and Frida, when uh, Frida goes, goes bad, like it is very obvious that yo she is bad. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. in in their uh, their um her body language, her everything her about her. Yeah. The way she talks, the way she says things, everything she does. It, they it's the only way you can distinguish them in any way because there's no other physical at that point in the movie at least there's no other physical way you can tell them apart. So yeah, and it's very early on. It's very obvious that you know she's a bad girl because when she finds out, like, so the in in the neighbor, in the village, there's the Karnstein Castle, and she hears that some you know nasty shit goes down there, and she is down. She's like, pagan orgies, sign me up. <laughs> she can't wait to be a part of this. She can't. Yeah, she is. Um, she is. She is. Um, down to, down to whatever. You know, um, she's an eager girl. You know, I, this is this is how boring small town life is. You become a Satanist. <laughs> you know, it's and like... and that goes to the other character, also Count Karnstein, played by Damian Thomas. Not a huge actor. He was in. I know him from Shogun and I the Tiger, not the song, um, the Sinbad movie. Um, and he's in a, a shitload of TV. He plays Count Karnstein, and. You haven't seen the Christopher Lee movies. Count Constant, um, Damian Thomas as the vampire has a very, very different energy than Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee is very quiet and foreboding. In some movies, he has no dialogue. He's just Ugh. there to be this hunk of sexy vampire. Um, Damian Thomas as Count Constantine, this dude loves being evil. This dude is amazing. From the first time he's on screen... I was like, this might be my favorite character in the whole movie. This guy is amazing. Like, and I don't remember exactly. I feel like when he's first mentioned by name, I feel like the first time you see him is like someone says like something like, that's where Count Carstein lives. And then the camera cuts to him and he turns and does the, oh, I didn't see you there. Like he looks at the camera like <laughs> oh, he knows he's a handsome, suave guy. And you can tell he's having so much fun. This guy is having so much fun in this role, and I loved every moment he was on screen because he's just enough, like, kind of schmarmy, but also kind of cool. I don't know what it is about him. Like, it, he's almost kind of cheesy and just kind of, like, dapper in a weird way. It, it works. It just works. 
Well, he he just he also like really likes being evil, and yes. you get you, you you learn very early on this dude is into some debauched shit, and he's into it just be, because he's bored. Like he, his family's loaded. He has no responsibilities really, as a count. And yep. so he just goes and finds peasant girls and has a role in the hay. And when Christoph- when uh, Peter Cushing shows up to be like, you're evil, he's like, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, he's the first person in the movie. He's the first person in the movie who takes that on like it's a great thing. Like they show up about something like we're looking for people who are servants of the devil or whatever. And he's like, I'm a servant of the devil. Kind of like, what are you going to do? Like, But yeah. he also knows he's rich and no one can touch him. And, and, and they also don't know at this point he's a vampire. But well, he's, he's not a vampire so much- yet. Or he's not, yeah, he's not a vampire yet, but he's got so much other stuff protecting him. He can just get away with what it, whatever he wants to do already and just tells the guy, yeah, I worship the devil, whatever. Like, I don't care. Yeah, I, I was making care. out with this peasant girl. Who cares? his servant (laughs) okay that was a weird thing that i would (laughs) almost forgotten about that was a weird as a i know everyone's listening to this full context um i'm also a black man so his his black servant guy uh that was something i wasn't expecting which was also making me wonder what time period is this in again i forgot about that and when i was watching it last night when my friend was watching it was also black and she was like i didn't I didn't think I'd see my my people in this movie. <laughs> I didn't either because we're in Europe somewhere in like the 16th century. And he's a mute, which is kind of like we watched. We watched my, me and my friend last night watched two Hammer films. They both had one person of color in them, and in both cases they were mute. <laughs> <laughs> like part of me is like, shout out to Hammer films for having a diverse cast, but also like I don't know. He's also your manservant. I don't know. How I feel yeah, about that. it's it is problematic. Most Hammer films just don't have minority actors in them. And mm-hmm. that's a problem too. But when they're period pieces, it, it's a little. It makes a little more sense, you know. So yeah, yeah. you can't really fault it too much. Like if you're making a movie about aristocratic England in the 1800s, you're not going to have any black guys in that movie. Like just yeah, very which rare. I wouldn't expect to see them. I mean, the only and the only thing, the only thing, honestly, that the character does that took me out of the movie where I was like, that fucking wouldn't happen, was when he steps in front of his. Um, count to protect him when someone pulls a gun to count and i'm like look i don't care how dedicated you are to somebody um, like you're not stepping in front of someone to take a bullet for him especially back then well you know he's uh he's just a black guy so nobody cares yeah yeah but, but, that, but it, it was also weird seeing him put on the little powdered wig at, in one scene oh, too yeah, the powdered that, wig. that did make me laugh i gotta say that made me fucking laugh yeah, I, seeing, I, it's very rare I see a black person with a little powdered wig and yeah, like seeing a dude built like a fucking brick shit house, <laughs> yes. like Jesus Christ, makes Steve James look like a goddamn twig. Um, <laughs> just a massive hunk of a man wearing a powdered wig and like a like a like a <laughs> turn of this like a Renaissance era like foppish jacket was hilarious. <laughs> that dude, really quick, I want to shout him, I want to shout him out. Um, his name is Roy Stewart. He passed away in. 2008 at the age of 83 he is jamaican uh, but okay. he was born when jamaica was still part of the british empire whatever so he's he was a jamaican british okay. and he lived in england for a long time 
he apparently owned a, a restaurant and a bar called The Globe, which I think is still operational. It's a, a Caribbean restaurant. And he was arrested a few times for selling boots without a license. This is all called to Wikipedia. So I don't know how accurate that is. But he's in a few movies. Um, He's in and nothing really of note. He's in an episode of The Avengers, which we'll talk about in a minute. He is in Live and Let Die. So that's oh. probably his biggest role. And he is in I, Claudius. He, but he has small roles. He was in Doctor Who a few times. He's in a movie. He's in a, the, the Mummy where he plays a slave. Um, but hey, at least they got a black guy for that because Christopher Lee plays an, plays a, plays an Egyptian. Um, <laughs> I mean, given given the time this movie was made, it could have been a lot worse. So, it could have been a lot character. worse. Yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, in 1979, he's in a movie called Arabian Adventure and his credit is Nubian. Yeah, see. So, what's a Nubian? Sorry. Um, hey, the, in Captain Clegg, and I, I'm, I'm going to use a, a word that's a slight slur here. Um, in Captain Clegg, the uh, the person of color's character name is Mulatto. That's that's just. I mean, come on. They're not even trying. Like, and, it, come and, on. and yeah, and he he was. I don't know what he's supposed to play. The actor, I believe, was Scott, half Scottish, half Indian. But in his in the first scene in that movie, his ears are cut off and his tongue is slit. So Jeez. this guy has it better than him, I guess. And that dude, that actor, every movie, he is a random brown person or thug. That's his character trait. Or brown thug. So uh, Roy, Roy Stewart had it better than that guy. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. The other only other real person of note in this film, well, there's there two more really quick. Peter Cushing's character's wife. Uh, Kathleen Byron. I just want to shout her out because she was in Black Narcissist, which is a great fucking movie, and you should watch that. And she plays a psychotic nun in that movie. Um, and she was so good as a psychotic nun, she got typecast and couldn't do much else. So she's mostly she got in typecast. Horror. It's like a nun character or just in horror films? Psych- psych- she couldn't get non horror. Well, Black Narcissist is not a horror film. Black Narcissist is a super serious art house film. But oh, okay. she was so good as a villain in that. She, and she was a beautiful woman who played villains. So not a lot of work, I would imagine. So she's in a few Hammer films, a lot of British stuff, and then mostly TV. I believe she played Matt Damon's, old Matt Damon's wife in Saving Private Ryan. Okay. And that role has one line. So, you know, but she's a great actress, really underused here. And then the hero of the film, uh, Anton Hoffer, he's played by David Warbeck, who... His first role is a film called My Love of My Son, which is about what you think it is. And you. And then his main claim to fame, really, two main claim to fame is he was in 8 million Italian films, like a lot of actors of the era. He's in The Black Cat and The Beyond, which are both good movies. And he was almost James Bond. Uh, really? He was the second choice after Roger Moore to the point where they had him kind of on a silent contract that if Roger Moore did bad, they were going to fire him and call in David Warbeck. I could see this guy playing Bond. Yeah, which would have been really interesting because he was openly gay. (laughs) So that could have been something else. Um, I think that probably hurt his career. Uh, Like I said, he, he mostly worked in Italy. He passed away pretty young in the 90s. He's a good leading man, nothing spectacular, but he gets the job done. He's a, he's a handsome he's a handsome man who saves maidens. That's all he needs to be. There's something about him too. He's he's charismatic. He's perfect for this role in this movie. But there's something about once he shows up that I feel like 
he could have done like something like Pride and Prejudice. Like he's got that kind of look to him too, right? I mean, that's that's the wardrobe also. <laughs> yeah, that, that's probably. There's a lot of times I was like, man, this feels like Pride and Prejudice mixed with like you know Dracula or something. Like there's well, certain vibes of a lot I mean, of that. Yeah, that's, if you watch Hammer, like the main reason I got into Hammer films is because my boyfriend loves period dramas, like British period dramas, and I like vampires. And so yeah, I was see, like, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> so yeah, see, and I guess Pride and Prejudice was in my brain because in the past year I've I've watched the BBC version of it, so it was really that's a good one, kind of there in my mind. So. Yes, you should watch. Um, I believe it's Sense and Sensibility is one of Hugh, with Hugh Grant. Have you seen that? No, and I need to because I did kind of get more interested in more of those now. That's a great. That has Alan Rickman, Hugh Grant, Kate Winslet, Emma Thompson, um, and that may movie makes me cry like a bitch. But anyway. <laughs> That's about it for the cast. Really quick behind the scenes. We didn't mention them. Uh, we mentioned the producers. Not much there. Uh, I I like to say the name of the cinematographer. Did you see the name of the cinematographer? Oh, I did. What's his name? And I, I thought for a second it was a joke. <laughs> I Honestly, I was like, I'm just really mature. This cinematographer's name is not Dick Bush. No, his name is Dick Bush. He, <laughs> and he, you know, he could have gone by Richard. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. Um, he knows what he's doing. Not as funny as famous jazz performer Dick Hyman. <laughs> real God. name. Uh, but as we <laughs> as we, we, we clown on Dick Bush's name, which is really easy to do, uh, Dick Bush was the cinematographer for, for Sorcerer. Um, That's an amazing movie. Holy shit. Yeah, and Tommy, and Victor Victoria, and some other movies, but those are the three big ones for me. Um very good cinematographer. This movie is gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yes, um, he does. He is very good at lighting, lighting dank, dank um, cathedrals and hallways. And the movie was written by a guy, who, another great name, Tudor Gates. Sounds like an architecture design. Uh, in fact, if you if you Google the name Tudor Gates, Tudor Gates, you get photos of Tudor houses gates, like the Tudor. <laughs> oh, like the Tudors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, which is funny. That's his real name. Uh, he was, I think, also involved in politics, but he was primarily a writer. He was one of the 8,000 writers of Barbarella, which is a bad movie. And he wrote Danger Diabolique, which was, I think, the last movie on Mystery Science Theater, but is a very good movie. And they mm -hmm. were wrong. So that's also the movie that the Beastie Boys spoof in the body moving video. Oh yeah, okay. That's a yeah. great movie. I that's a fun B movie. Highly recommend that. He also wrote The Vampire Lovers, which is another one of the Karnstein lesbian vampire films. And then he he wrote uh, Lust for Vampire, another. He wrote he wrote all three of them. He wrote Fright, which is a great babysitter horror movie with Susan George, who's a very good British actress. And then he also wrote a movie called Sex Thief, and another one called Intimate Games, and one called Sex with the Stars. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this guy was a, was, a, was a breast man. You know, I feel like you might have something there. <laughs> yes. And then finally, the director, John Hugh, he started work on the Avengers, not the Marvel Avengers. 
the uh, old school British TV show, The Avengers, where a lot of people got their start. Then moved into moving, making movies. He has a very strange career because his first movie, he made a movie called Sudden Terror, which is a, a horror movie, again, with Susan George that I've, I've, I've always wanted to see. And then he made this, which was a very big hit, I think. And then he made a version of Treasure Island with, with Orson Welles. Which I think I saw that when I was a kid. I feel like I saw that when I was really little on TV. I haven't seen. Might have seen the Disney one. This is a, this is probably a oh, lower okay. budget, a lower budget yeah. one. And yeah. then he, but he, then he made a Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. Which, if you want to see a batshit crazy car chase movie, uh, that has Peter Fonda and Susan George in it. Uh, that movie's rad, and it has the best ending of a movie ever. I can't even. I I I, I don't even want to hint at it. And then he made the Witch Mountain movies. Which I know I saw those when I was a kid. Yeah, and Watcher in the Woods. And uh, the Man Called Horse sequel. And some other Disney stuff. And then he made Peter Cushing's last movie, Biggles, which is this terrible movie. And some st- some. then he went straight to video. He made The Howling 4, which is <laughs> okay. really... That's a bad movie. Um, and then he made a couple movies. He's retired. He's still alive. He's done it. He's he he's his work here is done. Um, he also this is his only Hammer film. I feel he you haven't seen the other films. He has a unique style for Hammer a little bit. It's a little more cinematic. Hammer films tend to be quite stagey. He he moves the camera a bit more. He does more close-ups. There's some ridiculous close-ups in this film that is not something you'd usually see in a Hammer film. And I feel like he does a really good job of, make, again, balancing the titillation with not just full-on graphic nudity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is graphic nudity in this film. <laughs> well, I mean, this, this movie, actually, I was surprised at how restrained it was because literally from, like, the first few minutes... Once and not even just the, the twins. Every okay, as the straight guy on this podcast, from my experience, you do your job. Almost every, okay. almost every woman in this movie is attractive. Okay, everyone. It's like damn, just like everyone's yes. really pretty in this movie. So I was really surprised at how restrained the movie actually was because I was thinking, well, there's gonna be just a ton of nudity and stuff in this. And when there was only like one scene, um, I was kind of surprised at how restrained the movie was. Yeah, yeah, it. it- you know there is there is um there is a full frontal shot very quick, and there's a few scenes with the twins and the in the negligees that I think this has accidental full frontal, like yeah. And then there's like a silhouette or like something like one of them's like in the silhouette for a moment. And when you see, he, I when think. he throws her down on the bed, she's a vampire. There's a there's a, a some stuff there. There is a, there is some more boobs. That one. I'm sorry we're talking about boobs so much, but that's why this movie was made. Um, you, you literally can't see this movie and not it's it's, yeah. it's a part of the movie. I do love it's it is hilarious to me that Maria, in several scenes where she's in bed, just one nipple refuses to stay under the gown, <laughs> yes. just one. Um, and I I don't even know that was intentional. I'm sure it was a happy accident. Uh, I mean, because that's why they were cast. I mean, let's, yeah. you know, come on. And but yeah, they're not naked that much. Like in the in a lot of the promotion starts, they they are fully naked, but they're 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 relatively restrained here. So good on John Hugh. He showed more restraint than I would have, and I'm gay. Like I would have just been <laughs> like, 
yo, you are all naked now. There is the, they do bite one boob. <laughs> yeah, which I was not expecting. I've watched a lot I of was. vampire movies. I've never <laughs> seen any. I couldn't think of any time anyone's done that before. I, I, you know, lesbian vampire, any movie with a, that has any hint of lesbian vampires, that's going to happen. You know. Um, I also do think a combination of the cinematography and the directing made this, like, that's why I kind of hesitated to say this was like a, I want to say it's a lower budget movie, but I I never felt like it was a, like, low budget. Like, it did look like a little better of a production because of the way the camera moved and cinematography. Like, visually, it's really pretty to look at this movie. And, like, even the costumes and everything, they do have kind of that, like, you know, the stage play presentation, but, like, a little bit nicer to where there was some money spent. Well, um, and it doesn't feel like just totally cheap and Indian, like, you know. The thing about it, it's hard to get the budget for this down exactly. So there's a link. Wikipedia says the budget is 205 pounds. 205,000 no, 205, pounds. Which is a substantial, not, you know, average for the era. Mm-hmm. But you have to, when you look at that number, you have to keep in mind that a lot of the people who worked on this were on contract. So, like, because Hammer, Hammer was always making movies. So, like, I have seen enough Hammer films that I recognize the names of the editors. I recognize the names of the wardrobe department. I recognize the set designer, the sound guy, because they're in every, the credits are exactly the same. Um, Rosemary Burroughs is the wardrobe department for this movie. Rosemary Burroughs is the, was, did the costumes for almost every Hammer film. Um... So I recognize her name. Uh, so that keeps the cost down. They use the same costumes. I recognize costumes in this movie. I recognize, I recognize uh, quilts. I recognize <laughs> candelabras. I recognize sets. This movie uses the same sets as another film, which I recommend, called Vampire Circus, which is exactly what you think it is. Um, same, same sets. So that helps keep the cost down. Vampire Circus has David Prowse in it. That's uh, Darth Vader. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's a good movie. Um, so that helps keeps the cost down. And so it's really hard to figure out what the budget is. Like like it's like I said, it's more like a stage company at, but at you this know, time. The times when you do see that there is a lot less money spent, it's mm-hmm. glaring. Like anytime there's quote unquote blood, it's clearly like, okay, you know, this is well, that like, was the style of the time of the blood, too. This is before, th- that Tom, was the style? before Tom Savini. But the thing that got me, and I know we're just kind of jumping around on this, but I can't not mention this. There's a a part where someone's head gets chopped off, oh, and yeah. it is so obvious. It's a mannequin head that I loved it so much. And not only did the camera sit on the head longer than I thought it would, but Peter Cushing walks with it for a little bit, and you kind of get to spend time with it. And I'm like, yeah, that's clearly a mannequin head, and I kind of love that they just didn't cut away from it quickly like they could have a lot of people say that the first good movie decapitation in a mainstream film is the omen and which i think they're right uh i really like the decapitation in this because they are clearly cutting off a mannequin head off a pile of sausage um oh yeah i am there for it (laughs) i died laughing that's a oh and it's it's a very it's a very satisfying scene so yeah, but but when you talk about like Hammer Films looking, you know, being lower budget, they to me they never look cheap, and they never look poorly made. You never see a boom mic. Mm-hmm, yeah. You never see 
and maybe you do, but I, I don't notice it. You never see glaring continuity as every movie has some, but you never see very obvious mistakes like that. Um, there are anachronisms, but who the hell cares? <laughs> because no, that's not why you watch it. It's it's honestly it was really well made for what it was, but um, I was also surprised at just how really into the story I got because there was a point where I was like, you know, beginning the movie, I'm like, okay, great, uh, Peter Cushing is going to be, you know, this asshole character. Uh, he's coming in and he like like we said, you know, he thinks everything he's doing is right. So no matter what he does, he's trying to justify. Well, this is clearly the the correct path to be on. And I was like, great, it's just kind of like a Star Wars character. This guy's an insufferable jerk who just follows whatever the line is that he thinks is the right path on what his morals are. And by the end of the movie, I actually felt bad for him, which I didn't expect to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, so we should get into it. So some spoilers. So like, uh, if you want to watch this movie, it's on YouTube and I don't think legally, but it's in 1080p. So go nuts. Um, it's also on Amazon prime. You can rent it. It does also a fantastic disc by synapse that came out in 2016 that I recommend. Um, but I want to do some spoilery stuff now, if that's okay. I'm down. Oh, yeah. So, like we said before, it takes place in a small village. Uh, Peter Cushing's character, Gustav, he's a witch finder. His nieces come to move in with him when their parents die. And he is very unhappy with them because of um, their uh, uh, <clears throat> plumage, I believe he says well at one point. Yeah, and, I think their aunt even warns them to cover up because she says your uncle would be upset if she saw you like that. Yeah, it's like, this is not Venice. Um, but he, when he first sees them, I think he says such plumage or something like that, yeah. which is the really kind of gross thing to talk about with your nieces. And they get, they're very bored, especially Frida, one of the ones. And at the same time this is happening, there's Count Karnstein, who is also very bored and he ha his assistant is doing like these great like fake Satanist shows for him. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. It, it's like they're doing this whole production. They're in this this grand room, which has got Castlevania Symphony of the Night vibes all over the place. Oh it's man. Pentagram, you know, and it's like, um you, I just feel like the, the Castlevania game designers must have watched Hammer movies. Like we gotta design stuff. Oh, like they this. did. They did. Because yeah. it's elegant in like the best way. Um and it's like there's these guys doing what looks like, you know, a sacrificial ceremony. And right before it's about to happen, the count jumps up because he thinks this is all just not the right thing. It's boring. And he kicks well, he, them all out. Yeah. But before that, he, he he lambasts his poor assistant, Dietrich. And in one of my favorite lines in the movie, which I might just put in here. If I don't, I'm going to say it now. Um Dietrich, he, Dietrich is is trying to tell him that, you know, they're really Satanists. They're, they're summoning the devil. And Karnstein's like, I could do that. Is he going to come? <laughs> um, and uh, he said, uh, Dietrich is like, well, I'm, I'm trying to, we don't want trouble. I'm trying to make you happy. And then Karnstein says, I don't know why I employ you, Dietrich. You bore me personally, <laughs> and everything you do for me, I find tedious, including <laughs> this sirad. And <laughs> I have used, I have said that to people. <laughs> if if I'm in a bad, if I'm if uh, one of my friends is like, let's go to the same club we always go to, I'm like, you bore me personally, and everything you do <laughs> for me, I find tedious. I, I I just I love the extent in which. 
he really wants Deep to know that he's bored. <laughs> he he is not chewing on the scenery. He is feasting on it. He is he's, feasting on every line. He's making he's every to, line a meal. He's going to third base with the scenery. And he then really is. he kicks out Deep He kicks out the fake sa- Satanist. Then he murders that girl. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck was all that about? And that I summons. Let it go. <laughs> and that's the only connection to the other films is that summons a vampire who's buried on the property. And that is Carmilla. And in the old films, she's played by a different actress that couldn't get her for that. She shows up, bites him, and then bounces. <laughs> you know, I feel like now that you've told me about Carmilla, I feel like there was a, a Carmilla vampire in an anime that I saw, and it was either in Vampire Under D Bloodlust or in the Netflix Castlevania anime. But I know there's definitely be like another Carmilla vampire that I've seen in other like in another media. And I, I'm making that connection now that you, that you tell me about that. It's a very common character name for for female vampires because yeah. of of the book. And shout out the book. The, the story is called uh, Carmilla. It's in a short story collection, I believe. The author's name is Sheridan Le Fanu. Um, that's not French. He was he was Irish. So I'm saying I'm so I'm saying that completely wrong. Um, but. <laughs> The vampire he summons turns Constantine into a vampire around the same time that Frida is like, I hear there's wanton orgies of pagan lust at this castle. I want to go there. Uh, I do love how she's taken there. <laughs> she just she walks there in the middle of the night and then the 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 big black guy just picks her up. <laughs> he just picks her up and carries her. <laughs> he just just you know, this is how this is how we do this. I what guess do you this think- is like what do you think his instructions were? Like, Joachim, go into the woods. If you see a white woman with big breasts, grab her. But don't kill her. Bring her to I'm, me. I'm out of cute women. I need another one for the next yes, orgy. You see yes. one around the grounds. You just bring her back. The bustier, the better. Um, it's my motto. No, it's not. Uh, and, <laughs> and things escalate from there. I don't think we need to go scene by scene. It's a vampire yeah. movie. You can guess what happens. But the finale. So again, spoilers. Oh, before before we get to the finale, there's there's a, a moment and a line that I really like that's in my notes that I want to back oh, up. Go to. ahead, go ahead. So there's a moment when uh, Peter Cushing sees the count in town, and clearly the count this is his first time seeing. Uh, he's heard about the uh, the, the nieces, right? He's heard yeah, about, and the they twins. have a great chemistry together. Cushing and the bad guy, they 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 play they play off each other very well. But go ahead. Yeah, and so Peter Cush is doing his thing where he sees the Count talking. I think he's talking to Frida in town. And Peter Cushing, you know, comes in. He kind of squatches the whole thing. And he says to the Count, uh, he says, the, the, that's my niece. Oh, yeah, it's a great scene. And the Count says something back to him like, well, it was my pleasure to, you know, to have been introduced to her or whatever. Like, very much thinking this is the correct response. And I, I put the line down in my notes. Peter Cushing responds to him. My words weren't an introduction, but a warning. Yeah. I will make sure from now on that my nieces do not speak to you ever again. And yeah. I thought it was such a solid, that was such a good moment, a good line. I'm like, damn, that's like some top tier, like just great writing. Like, holy Peter, shit, man. Peter Cushing in Hammer Films and other other films was very good at shade. Yeah, he elevated uh, that line. There's a lot in that, mo- that movie, Captain Clegg, I also watched. There's a lot of... Where the British army's looking for looking for someone they, they don't know is Peter Cushing. And so Peter Cushing is talking to them and he says says stuff like, Oh, well, I'm so you'll outsmart him. 
It's like he's talking about himself, and no, you won't, bitch. And there's another. There's a, my favorite Peter Cushing line in any movie ever, which is kind of similar to this one. There's a movie called The Flesh and the Fiends, which is a very good movie about grave robbers, and <laughs> Peter Cushing plays an uptight professor in that. And some guys are challenging his views, and he just says, "Gentlemen." If you tilt your heads ever so slightly to the right, you'll see a door. I suggest you use it. And I'm like, yes. fuck yes. yes. Fuck yes. Yeah, eat shit. This is- <laughs> he's, he's got such a great way of telling you in like the most suave, polite way. It's such a great misdirect, too, of like, fuck off. But yes, he says it, is- it in such a way, it's just great. It is the most British go fuck yourself ever. <laughs> and I'm not that elo- people listen to this podcast. God, you can tell I'm I'm not that eloquent with my with my insults. I just I just say fuck a lot. Um, <laughs> but Peter, the the, the way he delivers lines like you know that was not an introduction. There's yeah. just such a gravitas and just sternness to it. It's great. I also want to mention really quick from what I've read about this movie, Peter Cushing was an absolute saint during making it, and the the girls could not act, and he took them aside and helped them. That's awesome. That's so, awesome. I, love I have stuff like never that. heard a bad thing about the guy, which also is another reason why I love him so much. Um, but yeah, so things really escalate when Frida gets a little bit sloppy with her feeding. <laughs> and yeah, she gets a little reckless, a little reckless. And um, Gustav, that's Christian Gustav and his merry, merry band of maiden murderers, the, uh, the Puritans. <laughs> find her after she's fed on someone and she's like vampires attacked me and there's blood on her lips yeah uh, this is like she is she is doing the shaggy defense and, and she walks right into doesn't she walk right into her uncle Peter yeah Cushing, doesn't and, he? but that, that, that's what she gives the shaggy defense to it wasn't me yeah that's shaggy, she's like yeah. she's like a vampire was trying to kiss me and this was his blood on his lips not mine and he just looks at her like yeah sure it's like, like, it's like honey please put out the, put and, out the, it, yeah go ahead well, in that moment, is it's when I realized he's not going to waver. He 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 feels a little like, damn, this is my niece. But he also feels like, too bad, got to do what I got to do. Like he's he still not backing down. Yeah, and, and another interesting thing about Gustav, like he's a bad person because he's murdering innocent women, but mm-hmm. he's not a hypocrite. He honestly believes what he's doing, and when it comes to his own family, he's like, well, b- bitches be witches. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got it. <laughs> time to go and so the only the only um the only uh compromise he makes is that he doesn't want to kill her right away he wants to wait until yeah. morning and so he puts her in jail and then straight out of a goddamn scooby-doo story the um the Kornstein kidnaps maria the good twin and does a body swap uh so maria can be killed and Frida can live and wreak havoc on the city. I love his plan because how bad it is because he tells Frida, you'll be the the virtuous virgin. And I'm like, Frida can't be a virtuous virgin to literally save her life. No, it's the last thing she could do. And Maria couldn't be more innocent. And like, there's even a, a, you know, kind of a moment earlier when Frida sneaks out to go to the castle. And I think it's after she's been turned already. And she comes back, sneaks back in the house and Maria has been covering for her. 
Yeah. And she even tells her, like, I pretended I was you because you left and I couldn't cover. And now tomorrow I'm supposed to be getting punished. You you should kind of pay me back and pretend to be me. And Maria ends up trying to defend her sister and ends up almost getting killed because of her sister. Yeah. And the the one good thing about Frida is that Frida does not want to harm her sister originally. Yeah. Like Frida says she has to go out at night because if she doesn't go out and she doesn't, doesn't finish the sentence, but you you understand if she doesn't go out, she will feast on her sister. Once once I feel like that that one glimmer of humanity leaves once they're like, well, we're gonna kill her so I can be her. But immediately this plan does not work because he goes back to the house and is just ready to jump on um Anton, uh, who is very willing. Can, okay, can we talk about this scene? This scene's in my notes. So Anton's great. Go on. There's this this you know little love triangle situation, right? Where as soon as Anton oh, sees yes. the twins, Anton falls in love directly with Maria. No, um, no, Frida, Frida, the bad one. No, Frida. I'm sorry, Frida. But Maria, I think, kind of has a crush on Anton. Yet Frida is also all about the count. <laughs> like there's this. This it's crazy, a love square. It's a love square. Yeah, it's a square. Actually, it's just it keeps going around, and so when uh, when Anton shows up, doesn't realize he's talking to Frida. I think, or he doesn't realize that she's been turned. She starts doing her vampire like eye hypnotism move, where she stares <laughs> in his eyes. But when you're watching it, you see the first person view as if you were Anton's perspective, looking at her. So she's looking dead on to the camera. And then the camera flips, and you see Anton looking right back. And it holds a little too long where it's just awkward enough to be weird. And it's this funny, silly thing of what are we doing? This is this could have been edited down a little bit, but it was so funny. I don't know. It just, it it just stood keeps going. It's funny that it keeps way. Going. Yeah. It's like too many cuts. Like <laughs> in my if I had the editing acumen in time, I would do a super cut of that. It's like an like like 25 minutes long of this them looking back at each other. And it'd be really great. Also, when I was watching it with my friend, my friend was just like all she could pick up from there was, man, her skin's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very close up of those pores. And she tries to seduce him, but oh no, mirrors. Um, And then he realizes what's, what's what's going on. He rushes to rescue Maria. They put the cross up to her because they're going to burn her alive now. And he's like, Mm -hmm. you can't burn her. Yo, she's not a vampire. Also, you can't burn vampires. You jag offs. You have to, you have to, for the stake of their heart, or for the purposes of this movie, cut off their head. Yeah, <laughs> um, cut off their mannequin head. Cut off the mannequin head, which we'll get to the mannequin head in just a few minutes. And then they storm the castle in a very Frankenstein-type scene, which is a great sequence. Yoakum has a dope last stand. <laughs> like, yes. yes. He, goes out, he goes out as he lived, murdering white people. Um <laughs> <laughs> Was that too much? I'm sorry. Well, no, <laughs> honestly, there was a moment in this movie where uh, I, it might have been early on when the shot is uh, one of the women that they're they're going to burn at the stake. Might have been one of the first ones. You see her like kind of walking down this country road just kind of by herself. And then there's like a posse on her. And once she realizes they're chasing her down, she drops her basket, starts running. And my first thought was, man, anytime you see just a posse of white guys on a horse, it's just not good for anybody. No, it's, it's just it's not bad. gonna bad be good me. for anybody. No, no, it's bad for anybody. It's bad for me too. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. Run away. Um, on the same road, I have seen so many posses of white guys on that exact road <laughs> because Oh, it's terrifying. Hammer, well, Hammer uses the same the same the same place for every movie. Oh. Uh, yeah, so fair. I have seen I have seen 
white men on horses chase vampires, women, werewolves, demons, you name it on that road. Um, in in a, in scenes that are clearly not nighttime. Because <laughs> like <laughs> another thing about this, this is your first Hammer film, so uh, suiting at night's expensive. Mm-hmm. And so, but you make vampire films. <laughs> so you know, we um, didn't bring this up. We didn't. We didn't mention that, right? They when the count sees the twins in this uh, town for the first time, it's in broad daylight. Well, and so I don't even the, think about the sun doesn't bother him. Well, no, there's different types of vampires, and so he's probably. It's like this is the Dracula type where he's weaker in the daytime. Okay, so like Dracula, the idea of Dracula being killed by sunlight is not in the book. Sunlight okay. doesn't kill Dracula. It makes him weak. Now, the Christopher Lee Dracula is killed by sunlight on more than one occasion. Um, <laughs> and there's like the Lost Boys type vampires. That they cannot be out in the sun. It will literally kill them. But I think it just makes them weak. I just love the fact that... So in, in the original Dracula, the nighttime scenes are filmed at night and it looks great. Mm-hmm. But in the later movies, they were like they just feel. Sometimes they use nighttime, and in this one, there's some sets. Anytime they're using fire, it's not a real forest because it was too dangerous. Okay, um, that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and so those scenes look like actual night. But like when they're running through the woods, it is clearly day for night. <laughs> it's clearly clearly day uh, for night, uh, and that is a common thing you see in vampire film and in, in, in uh, Hammer films. And sometimes you get the impression that they just don't care. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's nighttime. There's the sun. Uh, it is the dead of noon. <laughs> there is there is one thing that I did notice in this movie that is a very simple thing, but it, it made me buy into it a little bit more. And it's every time they did use a mirror to show that someone was a vampire. And it's such a simple thing. But to have one person in the mirror, like to have Anton, I think he's like hugging Frida or something, and then you cut away and see he's hugging nothing. Every time they did the the vampire in the mirror trick, it worked on me to where I was like, I don't know how they did that did that trick in the seventies, but it's enough to make me buy this moment. So how they did it in this movie is I don't know if you noticed, but there's twins in this movie. So sometimes they just that's another set. On God, I'm a fucking side. idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so they use they use the twins for some of the shots. And in other ones, for the men, they use body doubles. And there's a really good tell. If you look at one of those mirror shots, there's a candle. Mm-hmm. And the candle is obviously two different candles. Because the, the fire is not mirrored. What um, if I told you I was so invested in this movie, James, that I forgot that... The, what you said, that do, Anthony, so just br- blame, blame, blame. <laughs> say, just, say you would, just, just say your eyes were focused elsewhere. They were hot. They were so hot, okay? I couldn't think straight. They were so... They're hot, okay? <laughs> there you go. Them titties. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, hey, I, you know, I, 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 I can't sympathize, but I understand. But still, um, it worked on me. The mirror worked trick worked on, on me. It is, it is yeah. funny. The scene you're talking about, there were, the, the scene where I noticed it was obviously a twins in a set, there was ample breasts. So I'm immune. I'm immune. This is my superpower. I can look past that and find the mistakes. You are just, you're, you're too weak. I'm blind. I would have been bitten 10 minutes to this thing. Just been like, oh, hi, busty lady. Oh, am I dying now? Okay. I was, I was joking with my friend, like a lesbian. real. if we let's, let's, I'm, I'm going to use some broad stereotypes here and I apologize, but a real life lesbian vampire probably have a really hard time. 
the easiest vampires in the world are st- probably straight women. Um, oh yeah, because they can get a, they can get a guy in five minutes or gay men because we are sluts. Listen, and, I just put some barbecue sauce on my neck and just lie down. Okay, yeah, just, well, like here comes the bussy vampire. A I'm gay done. vampire could have a tw- could have a grinder profile that says I'm a gay vampire, <laughs> and guys will be like, "Hey, how you doing? Here's my dick." <laughs> so, it wouldn't matter. Um, anyway, they go to the castle. There's a great. There's a few great chase sequences. That we get to the decapitation when Gustav just fucking lobs off her head. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. They do the 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 swipe to the neck looks very realistic, and that's filmed backwards. Ooh, okay. So they start it with the with the sword at her neck. And they move it away. That's how you can get the really fast speed to the neck and not, you know, kill someone. And then, yeah. but then there's the quick cut and very obviously a fantastic dummy. Um, and when I said on a pile of sausages, I was not joking. Those are sausages. Yeah, um, no, you, you're not kidding. And it's good shit. And then he is, like you said, he see he walks with the head and just. He just picks it up and just walks with it like you'd hold like a bag of groceries, just walking casually. Yeah. Just enough for you to see that it is truly a mannequin head if you didn't notice it before. And unlike and then then so he, he gets one vampire down. And so you're like, well, that's right, I'm gonna go get the other. But in a change of pace from almost every Peter Cushing vampire film, he's killed. Um Yeah. 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 Which is a, you know, Dracula never kills uh, Van Helsing, you know, um, but he is he is killed by Kornstein, and then so Anton with a, some prime javelin skill. Well, they foreshadow it though; they foreshadow it, right? Because he's a hunter. Okay, because he throws that javelin to kill. Okay, it, actually, at first, Kornstein's got one of the twins, and he's he's got was it uh, Maria? I think. Yes. He's got Maria in his in his arms. He's holding her over the balcony. He's gonna just, just gonna drop her if all these other guys in the mob don't back up. And Anton goes to grab a spear, like he's just gonna chuck it at him. And this guy's like, wait, like don't like you know, you might hurt her or hit her. It's too close. He's too close to the to the railing. Just don't do this. So when she gets free though, he takes no hesitation. He hurls this thing with like the strength of the gods. Pinpoint accuracy and it just pins the count to the wall. And yeah. I was thinking, how hard do you have to throw that to hit this man like that? He's good. He he worked out. Uh well they saw him killing a boar that way. Yeah. Like, early true. on. He throws it because of boars with foreshadowing. And then Constein's face melts, the end. Like I said earlier. Like, yo, they killed the bad guy. Guess what? The movie is over. When when Carson is walking out with one of the twins before the uncle was outside, and he tells her to go first, does he? Do you think he knows what's out there? Because she just walks out and just gets killed. Oh, definitely. He's a, he's a he's a. I mean, when he get when he finds out they're on his way, he he slaps her for no reason. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't even. He's not even blaming her. He's just like, well, I got to punch somebody now, and you're right here. So uh, he's a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. For a second, I was like, "Why? Why is he insisting that she goes first? Is he just afraid that he, I don't? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it was." But when she walked out there, I was like, "Oh, he just he gives no fucks now." And then I didn't expect Peter Cushion to have this very like final fight showdown with him, where he gets 
like an axe buried in his back. And yeah, then he yeah. falls off the side of the rail. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he had a hell of a death. He dies hard. Yeah. Um, he goes out, he goes out, he goes out like he lived. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I, I like, again, I just love how they kill Constein and the movie's over. Yeah. Uh, it's just done. Credits are really done. immediately. It's, it ends immediately. Credit, yeah, 87 minutes. And so that's one of the things I like about Hammer Film. That's one of the things I hate about new movies. Like you could watch. How long is Avengers Endgame? It's it's if it's not three hours, it's like maybe two hours fifteen minutes. It's like right around three hours. Let me see. Avengers Endgame is. I feel like if it's not three, it's right under it. It is three hours long. You, you could go. watch two two complete Hammer films, and with an intermission. Yeah, and and really that's could. only for the second half of the goddamn movie, <laughs> you know. If you if you wanted to watch all of the Avengers final chapter, Infinity War, and Endgame, that's like five hours. You yeah. can watch the entire Dracula saga. So, like, I really appreciate the economy of storytelling. the 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 way these films set, they, there's very little exposition. There's no post climax. Anything. It's it. The movie's over. It's done. And it's great. And it doesn't drag, and it never feels boring. Yes, which is why I recommended it to you today. Not only because it's a movie I could talk about if I'm blindfolded. Um, it is a very good intro to Hammer. And so, not only have you made me a fan of Hammer films, I'm definitely going to probably watch this movie again, and definitely a lot of, of the other ones you mentioned. Yes. So, um, I want to recommend some other movies here because it is Halloween soon. This is this is going up on the 27th. It'll be Halloween weekend. And then, uh, Anthony, you can recommend some, too. Um, I want to keep it in the Hammer House. Uh, Vampire Circus. <laughs> two words that go great together. Um, that is a great Hammer movie. I'm going to look right now and see if that's available anywhere. I think that might just be on YouTube illegally. Yes, it is. On name, on name alone, I want to watch this. Vampire Circus is a good one. On HBO Max, they have the first Dracula and the first um, Frankenstein. I believe their version of Dracula is the uncut print. There are different prints of that movie. Um, those are both very good. I recommend those. So that's Horror of Dracula and The Curse of Frankenstein. Those are the first of each of those. Other ones that are around that you can find pretty easy, I think... The Mummy, The Mummy is good. That's also Christo- That's also Peter Cushing. Um, geez. Uh, let me look really quick. The Hound of the Baskervilles, I think, is streaming somewhere. The Abominable Snowman is the one they made before Dracula. That's a great one. And then also The Reptile, about a killer reptile. Plague of the Zombies, filmed on the same sets as Reptile, with the same actors in the same costumes. <laughs> Ooh, okay. And... A little bit different, Rasputin the Mad Monk, where Christopher Lee plays Rasputin. And one more, and then I'll be done. If you can find it, I don't know where it's available, uh, The Devil Rides Out, which is based on a Richard Matheson story. Richard Matheson wrote I Am Legend. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. He used to write stuff like Twilight Zone, I think, yes. too. And that's directed by Terrence Fisher. Terrence Fisher is the Hammer director. And that stars Christopher Lee as a good guy. And so if you want to see Christopher Lee beat the shit out of Satanists, then that's a jam. Uh, I don't know where that's available, but, you know, the Internet's a wonderful place. 
um, True. those are my recommendations for Halloween. I know you haven't seen any of the Hammer films, but can you think of any other good fun? Not something too, not anything too disturbing or fucked up. Like I want to keep it like kind of light, like the Hammer stuff. Can you think of anything fun to recommend this 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 uh, Halloween weekend? Yeah, I've got I've got a few curveballs I think will be in particular right. like just fun watches in general. Uh, one that's a, a favorite of mine. It's super lighthearted. It's Elvira and Mistress of the Dark. I have never seen um, that. I gotta watch that. I grew up watching Elvira on TV in the eighties, and Elvira Mistress of the Dark is just it. Everything that we've talked about in this in this episode, it's it's a. Uh, clearly someone who loves horror movies and it's comedy and it's just really fun uh i think you would like it especially because elvira just comes elvira. Into this, yeah she just comes into this town this little quaint town and shakes the whole town up just by being elvira and it's a really fun movie and i, I watch it almost every year and almost every year i have an, uh, at least one friend that hasn't seen it you, you, and we watch it with them you know anthony i could think of something that elvira and twins of evil have in common I can't. I can't imagine what it is. I don't can't know. Imagine. I'm looking at the poster. Yeah, I can't think of it. Anyway, don't know what it is. Any, any, any. <laughs> I mean, oh, is it that she's a titular character? Moving on. <laughs> also, you fucking asshole. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, I did mention this earlier. I think this would be an interesting. Um, I don't know how many times you get anime recommendations, but Go for it. I would say if you can find uh, Vampire Hunter D Bloodless, which is the one from 2001. Okay. Uh, it's a really good anime movie from Madhouse. You don't have to know anything about Vampire Hunter. It's a self-contained movie, but he's half uh, human, half uh, vampire, kind of like Blade. But it's literally about him and like another group of, of vampire hunters. Uh, and it's a really good maybe 90-minute anime movie that's still gorgeous to this day. I think you can rent it like on Amazon and pretty much most places. Uh, there's another Vampire Hunter D movie from like 1984, 85. That's what I used to watch. I've seen that one too, but I think Bloodlust would be uh, a little more fun, a little more accessible okay. to to people listening to the show. Yeah, I've never seen Bloodlust. I mean, I I'm not a huge anime guy. I used to watch anime in college on fan subs, you know, back in the because I'm an old man. Um, so I haven't watched the new one. I like the old one quite a bit. Uh, this the one, old it's, one it's is very is very strange. The old one is very strange, which is another reason why I, it's hard to recommend because I don't know how well it holds up today. And I okay. actually have the Blu-ray. I haven't watched it recently. But Bloodlust is like, you can just come into it as a standalone movie and watch it. It's very accessible. And even if you watch the English dub, it's got a very solid dub. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll check that out. One more I'll recommend really quick, and I've recommended like 8 million. I just remembered uh, something that'll be on this podcast soon uh, is Horror Express. Which is the Christopher Lee, Peter that's Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and Telly Savalas. You know, oh, Telly, okay. you know, Telly Savalas yeah. is yeah, Kojak. Kojak. Yeah, and Who loves you, baby. It's basically the thing on a train. Oh, that's it's really interesting. Based on the same sort of story as a thing, but on a train, and okay. that has some peak Cushing lines in it, and that's a really fun one. I I I would recommend that. And I just watched I just watched Fright Night last week and Fright Night's great. You know. Yes, um, classic. Yes. Uh if you are looking for Christopher Lee though, do not watch uh his only werewolf film, uh Howling Two. Um, because Howling Two is a very bad movie. <laughs> uh like every howling film that's not the howling, don't watch the howling. Just watch the howling and then walk away. It's not even they're not even so bad they're not even fun. 
that it's bad. They're boring. But anyway, um, that I think that's everything I can recommend today. I guess gave everybody like 800 movies. Uh, Anthony, thank you for joining me on this slightly more haphazard edition of uh, Cinema Oblivia to talk about uh, titular vampires. <laughs> <laughs> James, thank you for the invite and for introducing me to this movie because I'm not kidding you when I tell you I might I'm gonna have to buy the Blu-ray. This has become one of my favorite movies I've never heard of until recently now. And this is a great introduction in a hammer. I will be watching more hammer movies for sure, more Peter Cushing movies, more Christopher Lee movies. But I am so glad this was my first introduction in the hammer. So thanks I'm, for having me on. I'm glad to. Thanks, thanks again, Anthony, and thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. Until then, take care and everyone have a happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs>